as, uh, as we back up a little bit, <clears throat> chapter 6, verse 1, we're going to uh, go through the whole chapter, though. Don't panic. I know we've been uh, focusing on the Lord's Prayer for the last four weeks, uh, but we just want to get the context of what we've been taking a look at. Remember, we find ourselves in the Sermon on the Mount. And in chapter 6, at the beginning of chapter 6, the Lord begins to lay out for you and I that we need to be, be wary of an enemy that creeps into our life. And that enemy, his name is hypocrisy. Anybody ever heard of that before? Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is something that we all possess. I hope that that doesn't depress you too much. I know there's a lot of people that say they won't go to church because it's full of hypocrites, but they don't mind going to McDonald's, which is also full of hypocrites. Or Walmart, which is full of hypocrites, or anywhere else where people might gather. And as we're thinking about that concept, and as we look at it, Jesus is going to focus in on three specific areas in our lives where hypocrisy comes out. And so as he's laying out for us his, his, his design for the kingdom, and his desire for the way that you and I should walk, he tells us to watch out for hypocrisy in our giving, to watch out for hypocrisy in our praying, and to watch out for hypocrisy in our fasting. So as we take a look at that, we're going to be considering that idea of hypocrisy. And as we consider that, you know, there's an unwritten code. An unwritten code amongst men. And that code is, I would almost rather be flogged, beaten, battered, than embarrassed. That is why... When a man is lost, he will not say that he is lost. Saying that I'm lost would be embarrassing. Rather, I will say, I know exactly where I am. I'm in the woods. I'm on a trail. I'm in southern Idaho. All of those things work, right? We were out uh, camping this last week, and my wife apparently doesn't, isn't aware of the code. We tried to experience her and help her understand the code. We're out riding four-wheelers with Fritz and Joni, and, and we're just trying to find out where the roads go. So we see this fella coming down the road, and we wonder if that particular road goes to where we're trying to get. So we elect Kathy to ask him, Hey, Kath, ask this guy when he comes down here if, if that's the road that goes where we're trying to go. And she shrieks to him as he comes up close. Help, we're lost! <laughs> and immediately those of the code all say, We are not lost. We know exactly where we are. We're in the woods. We're in the South Hills. We're on this road. And we're at, what was it, Father and Son Camp and another camp right down there. I know where I am. I just don't know yet where I'm going. That's not the same thing as lost, ladies. It's not the same. And in case you're wondering, that is hypocrisy. <laughs> that is hypocrisy. We want to watch out for that. We want to be careful about how, that, how easily that creeps, creeps into our life, especially in, in the spiritual sense. So as we look at chapter 6, beginning at verse 1, we'll go rather quickly through the beginning here. We want to be aware of, of that hypocrisy. So he says in chapter 6, verse 1, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, not if, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you like the hypocrites do in the synagogues or in the streets that they may have glory for men. Assuredly, I say, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. Now, the first thing he talks about is hypocrisy in giving. And the attitude that the Lord points to is that attitude that says, I'm doing this to be uh, seen by men. I'm doing this so that people will think I'm holy or that people will think I'm righteous or people will think I'm a great person. What we see in hypocrisy is we, we begin to care more about our reputation than about our true character. And we don't ever want to be that way. We don't want to be, I care so much about my reputation or how man sees me. I care more about that than how God sees me. So the Lord says, when you give, 
Just give in secret. Don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Just, just give. As you, as you give, just give. Not so that you would be seen by men or that you would be applauded, but rather that your Father in heaven who sees in secret, He knows. He knows. He knows whether or not you tithe, whether or not you give. We're not going to go through the role and decide who gave this week, who didn't, how much, why aren't they giving. We better give them a call and figure out what's wrong with them. That's not how it works. Our giving is before the Lord. We give to Him. But Jesus said, when you give, be aware that hypocrisy can creep in. And once hypocrisy creeps in, and we're doing it now so that we might bring glory to our own name, we're out of bounds. We're outside of God's will. We're outside of what Jesus wants from us and in our lives. So be aware of that. The, the, the possibility of hypocrisy creeping in. Then he goes from giving to praying. Let's look what he says. And so, when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, so that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut the door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So the Lord lays out for us. If we want to have effective prayer life, our effective prayer life is going to begin in that secret place, in the closet, in the prayer closet. Literally, in the Greek, that word is uh, the treasure room. That room in which you would keep the things that are, are most valuable to you. And he, and he says, go into that place quietly and just pray before the Lord. If we want to have a, a, an effective prayer life publicly, first we have to have an effective prayer life privately. In the place where we are seeking the Lord. Not so that we'll be hear, hear, heard by men, but that we'll be heard by God. That we recognize that He is the, the, the one to whom we speak. And understanding when we pray, I always have... I always have this, this fear, this uh, idea that the scripture lays out for us that we're saved by grace through faith. But make sure your faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ and not in your prayer. Faith in Him. And the prayer of faith brings about the, the healing, it brings about salvation, it brings about all those things we desire. But the faith is not... In the prayer, or the words of the prayer, the faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Having our faith in Him. So, we want to be wary, because in our prayer life, hypocrisy can creep in. And then our prayers become more about who's hearing and who's listening, than about Almighty God. They become more about ourselves, and less about Him. And so we want to be aware. Be aware of this kingdom principle, that hypocrisy can creep into our prayers. He goes on to say in verse 7, And when you pray, do not use vain repetition as a heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. So in this manner, therefore pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation. But deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive yours. Again, he calls us to be on the guard for hypocrisy in prayer. Hypocrisy creeps into our prayer easiest in that area of forgiveness. In that area of seeking forgiveness from the Lord, but unwilling, being unwilling to give forgiveness to, to the men and women who have wronged us. It, was, it has been said, uh, a fellow named Carson, this is what he wrote. Once our eyes have been opened to see the enormity of our offense against God, the injuries which others have done to us appear by comparison extremely trifling. 
If on the other hand we are or have an exaggerated view of the offenses of others, it proves that we have minimized our own. We want to recognize every one of us in this room is a sinner saved by grace. Every one of us attributed to the stripes on the back of our Lord Jesus Christ. Every one of us drove the nails into his hands. Every one of us drove the nails into his feet. So when we receive forgiveness from God, we cannot hold back that forgiveness to others. we got to let it go. But Jack, you don't understand what he did. It really doesn't matter. Really doesn't matter. You just give them over to God. You just let the Lord be the judge. And you give up the right to be the judge. You just give it to Him. God knows how to deal with it. God knows how to set you free. More often than not, when we harbor that unforgiveness, we are enchained, we are bound, and they are free. So if we want to watch for hypocrisy in our prayer life, that's where it will creep up. Unwillingness to forgive. Any believer whom you have a grudge against, you better learn to pray for them. Because that grudge isn't okay. It's not okay to, to, whether a brother or sister wrongs you is irrelevant. It's not okay to hold on to that bitterness, to hold on to resentment, to say, well, I forgave them, but I'm not ever going to forget, or I'm not ever going to trust, or I'm not ever going to, then you're not free. You want to be free? Learn to pray. Learn to pray for that brother or sister who's wronged you. Learn to pray that God would do that perfect work in you to enable you to be free. And as you learn to forgive, the hypocrisy in your life and in your prayer life will be washed away. Washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ that purges me of my sin and my brother of his as well. So we want to be on the guard for hypocrisy in our prayer life. Then the scripture goes on. He says, moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Now, the third thing that he talks about is something that I think is often neglected within the church today. And that is the idea of fasting. He said, not if you fast. He said, when you fast. Now, the disciples, when they were walking with Jesus, the Pharisees came. And you know, the Pharisees, they're always more righteous, holier than thou. And so they came to Jesus and said, why don't your disciples fast? You see, their tradition was to fast every Monday and Thursday. And... While they were fasting, everybody knew they were fasting. They looked like they were fasting. They, they often would say, when someone would come to them and say, Hey, brother, you want to you wanna go over to Roberto's and get a burrito and a taco? And, and he'd say, Oh, alas, brother, I can't go, for I am fasting. They loved the idea of people thinking how holy they were. So they said to Jesus, Why don't they fast? And Jesus said, they don't fast because the bridegroom's here with them. The bridegroom's here now, but the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken away and my people will fast. And that concept behind the fast is that desire that the disciples had to be with Jesus again. And it's an opportunity for us to say, you know what, I'm just going to remove everything that can creep in and disrupt my attention, and I'm going to give total devotion to the Lord. I'm going to deny areas of my flesh and give devotion to the Lord. Listen, if all you're doing is fasting and not eating, that's called a diet. If you want to fast, you put aside that food or whatever it is that you have decided to fast from, and you devote that time to the Lord. That's a fast. Coming before the Lord with devotion. So the Lord says here, hey, when you do that, 
Don't be a hypocrite about it. Nobody else needs to know. We don't have to put it up on a billboard. We don't have to make announcements about it. We just have to realize, hey, this is a vital area of my relationship with the Lord. And it shows my devotion to God and my willingness to learn to curb the appetites of my flesh. And the easiest way to do that is with food. Set aside that time as the Lord would lead you. Set aside that time. But don't do it like the hypocrites sounding a trumpet. And then making their face all dreary and sad. I'm fasting today. Don't do that. Because now all of a sudden you're saying spirituality equals gloominess. Where is that? Jesus was the gloomiest guy we ever met, right? When he's walking around, the people would look at him and say, Oh, there's gloomy Jesus. But the scripture says he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. But that's, that's not the face that he gave. The face that he gave was the... The Lord is my strength, my shield, my exceedingly great reward. And so that call, we know Jesus fasted, we know Moses fasted, we know Joshua fasted. We go throughout the scripture, we can see several different fasts. But what's the Lord lay out for us? When you do it, you do it for you and the Lord. Not because anybody else thinks you ought to. Not because you think that people will think you're more righteous. Because if we do that, we're allowing hypocrisy to come into our life. And we're living a hypocritical Christian life rather than a real Christian life. We want to be aware of the things that hypocrisy will do to us. And all you have to do is look at the Pharisees, right? If you look at the Pharisees, you can see what happens. What happens is... It robs us of the reality of living our life for the Lord. Instead, we're living our life behind a mask. We're not really living in reality. So what do we see happening? We substitute reputation for character. Now it's more about what people think than about how I really am. Instead of going how I really am to the Lord. How do people look at me? How do people think of me? We substitute just words, whatever words, flowery words sound great in our prayers. Or we substitute money for devotion to the Lord. That's why Jesus looked at the Pharisees and he called them whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. Hey, if you and I, Pharisees, most likely Pharisees would fit into church pretty good. They look nice, they look good, everything's great on the outside. But the reality of allowing God to, to do a work on the inside. See, they were, they were keeping that from occurring. They were keeping or holding back the hand of God to move in their life. By their choice, by the, the decisions that they were making. And so the Pharisees we see as hypocrites. And also the scripture lays out for us that it will rob us of our, our spiritual reward. What did the Lord say over and over again as we read those scriptures? And if you do it for the way men look at you, you have your reward. That's it. That's your reward. Enjoy it. But the scripture calls us to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven, as, we, as we'll see soon as we go through the rest of this chapter. And if I want to lay up for myself treasures in heaven, there are things that I can do. These things, I can have a relationship with God. I can seek the eternal approval of God rather than the fleeting fancy of men because one day you're a hero the next day you're a zero you know that right one day you're the greatest the next day you're not so good that's how it is with men but not so with god wouldn't it be better to live for him to not miss the blessing of god now and the reward of god at christ's return For everything we do for the Lord, everything we do as a believer, will be judged at the judgment seat of Christ. And it will be impossible to hide from Him your motives. Remember when Jesus was standing in the treasury, the scripture said, not that He watched what people gave, it says He watched how people gave. The motivation of their heart. Because that's what God longs for. 
That's what God wants. The reality of God working in your life and not the hypocrisy of trying to look good to everybody else. Just being real. That doesn't mean just being raunchy because it's going to be real. It means being real and going before the Lord and allowing Him to do that change on the inside out that we need. To wash the hypocrisy out of our life. To wash it out of our giving. To wash it out of our praying. To wash it out of our fasting. Because hypocrisy will rot our ability to be salt and light in this world. Number one complaint about people in the church. Hypocrites. They're hypocrites. So we lose our ability to have that spiritual influence. Think about the, the, the Pharisees. Guys, when the Pharisees started, that was a, a holy movement that studied the word and focused on the word and applied the word. And somewhere down the line, the Pharisees got so concerned about how everybody else viewed them that the hypocrisy just washed it all away. And the next thing you know, that's all they're concerned about. They're not concerned about the reality of God whatsoever. Hypocrisy will do that in our life. Hypocrisy will wash away our ability to influence the world for Jesus Christ. So we've got to be willing to deal with that hypocrisy. We've got to be willing to deal with what's going on in our life. So how do we do it? Listen, the Lord told us. He told us that our relationship with God first needs to be tended in that secret place. When it's just you and Him. If you're not tending your spiritual life with the Lord when it's you and Him just in that secret place, in that quiet place, if there is none of that in your life, then you're struggling with hypocrisy. You want to get out of hypocrisy? Develop that that place. That quiet place with the Lord. Develop that time where you're tending, not to anybody else can see, just me and you, Lord, just you and me here. And you know me. I can't hide here. I need, to, I need to tend that quiet time before Him. And then I need to watch my motives. For my motives should be to please the Lord God, and that's it. I go to work to please God. I coach to please God. I play to please God. In everything you do, you can do all things as unto the Lord, can't you? Everything you do, you can do as unto the Lord. It's your motive for Him. It's just changing our own attitudes that helps wash away the hypocrisy. Wash away the the hypocrisy in our life. And then when the times of testing come, and we know they come, then we will be led to the triumph rather than to a stumble in temptation because there's the Lord leading us to show us, hey, you're doing good. The hypocrisy is washed away. Let the hypocrisy go. And be real. Take off a mask. And be real in your quiet time before the Lord. And then in verse 19, he goes on to say, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. What is your motivation in life? He says, literally in the Greek, he says, Do not treasure for yourself treasures on earth. Do not hold on to all the stuff we can have here. Now listen, we all do it. We all have things that we love, that we like to hold on to, that we treasure. That we, that we keep in a special place in our house. That we keep in a, in a special area. And what did the Lord say? He didn't say, take all those things out of that area. He said, go to that place and make your relationship with the Lord your treasure. Before all that stuff. Make your time of prayer with the Lord a treasure. Make your giving a treasure. Make your time of fasting a treasure with the Lord. That you do it in that quiet place. In that place in your house where you store all those things that mean so much to you. And don't hold on to that stuff so tight. Don't hold on to that stuff, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. 
God wants us to do something positive. I, I love that he doesn't just tell us a negative. Don't do this. But he says, do that. Do. Lay it for yourselves. Treasures in heaven. So, I, I just did a quick search through the scripture. Laying up treasures in heaven and, and the practical. Okay, how can I do that? What well, we see in Luke 18.22, one of the ways we can lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven is to give to the poor. What do you mean? Well, Luke 18.22, Jesus standing before the rich young ruler. And when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell all that you have, distribute it to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven. And come and follow me. So, when we give to the poor, it's a way that we store up treasures in heaven. Listen, do not miss this. The nation of Israel was judged because they did not care about the poor and the needy. And God says, I care about them. I care about the poor and the needy. And I can use you as my instrument to reach out to them. To reach out to them. Now to the rich young ruler, we know Jesus is pointing out to him that his problem was his, his God, his love was his stuff. And he wouldn't part from his stuff. That's why the scripture says he went away sad. But for you and I, we want to know practically, how do I lay up for myself treasures in heaven? I can give to the poor. I can help out. Folks, there's lots of ways to do that in our community in the name of Jesus Christ. There's a food pantry that you can get involved in. There's a, there, there's a community kitchen here every Wednesday where we feed people. There's opportunity to give to the poor. And when we do... We're laying up for ourselves treasure in heaven. We're laying up for ourselves treasure in heaven. Scripture lays out for us that when we support ministers of the gospel, we're laying up for ourselves treasure in heaven. Philippians 4.16. Paul says, For even in Thessalonica you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Paul's speaking there in Philippians from verse 10 to the end of the chapter about the people who supported him and how when the, in that support, God would remember that. They were earning a reward. That they were laying up for themselves treasures in heaven. So when we provide support for ministers, that's, I'm not just talking about us here. There's lots of ways that we can do that. We're laying up for ourselves treasures in heaven. Another way we lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven is, is helping hands. In Mark 9.41, Jesus said, Whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name because you belong to Christ, assuredly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Whoever gives a cup of water, that helping hand. Maybe he's not the one who went out ministering, but he's the one who helped support and gave just a cup of water. Now that would seem like a small thing, but Jesus said, even when you do something small to help, you're laying up for yourselves treasure in heaven. It's not so hard to apply the kingdom principles that the Lord gives us and say, you know, these are things that I can do. I can lay a helping hand. We have a Timothy ministry here at the church. That's what they're for. Every once in a while someone calls and they're unable to take care of the yard, unable to mow, unable to, to move, unable to fix something that's broke on the house. Maybe they want their house painted. We did paint magic this year. It's all that attitude of having helping hands, being willing to reach out in the name of Jesus Christ and help. Give a cup of cold water. Give a cup of cold water. Just being a part. Luke chapter 6 verse 35 says, When we're kind to the undeserving. But love your enemies. Do good and lend. Hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. For He is kind to the unthankful and the evil. So when we're kind to the undeserving. Anybody think of someone undeserving to be kind to? Wow, that didn't take long, did it? I watched as I said that, that the same thing fled across everyone's eyes. Immediately, that name came to mind. Oh, I can think of somebody that's unkind. That's, that's a knucklehead. Be kind to the undeserving. Being kind to the undeserving. Finally, this is not a list of everything. I'm just, just giving you some ideas out there. When we sow and water the Word of God... 
In 1 Corinthians 3.8, Paul said, Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. When we share the word of God with someone, we're, that's the idea of sowing and watering. Someone else maybe has sowed before us, but we come along and water a little bit. It's laying up for ourselves treasures in heaven. It's living by the kingdom principles. It's saying that my relationship with God, it, it has working clothes on. It's not just, just coming to church on a Sunday. It's my life. It's how I live. It's what I do. It's how I pray. It's how I give. It's how I fast. It's, it's why I do the things I do. It's all those things, applying that reality to our life. Laying up for ourselves treasure in heaven and not laying up for ourselves treasures on earth. Not holding so tightly to the stuff here. What do we know about the stuff here? What's going to happen to it? Poof. It's all going to burn. It doesn't matter how pretty and shiny that Harley is. They don't look good parked underneath a three-quarter ton van. And if I know anything about having had Harleys and riding Harleys and, and working on Harleys is, they all wear out. They do. Everything we own, from the minute we buy it, begins to instantly depreciate and break down and fall apart. So use it up. Use it up. It's okay to possess things. Just don't let your things possess you. It's okay to have just don't let those things that you have become that which is the guiding principle in your life. Why? Because in verse 21, the Lord tells us, For where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. That's where your heart will be. Listen, materialism will always enslave. And the first thing that it enslaves is your heart. It enslaves your heart. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If I love those material things, I will go the same way they go. I just go away. Wear out. Break down. Where your treasure is. The same way I can live by the kingdom principles. I can live by the things that Jesus said. And I can lay up for myself treasures in heaven. And then if my treasure is up there, where's my mind? Where's my heart? Where's my will? It's with Him. Lay up for ourselves those treasures in heaven. Where our heart will be also. In verse 22, we see the next thing that it will enslave is your mind. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? The next thing materialism does is it enslaves our mind. God's word often uses the eye to represent the mind. That, that the eye is your outlook. The way you look at life. How's your outlook? If your outlook is all about materialism, then your mind is dark. If your outlook is about the Lord and, and walking with the Lord and doing the things of the Lord and laying up for yourself treasures in heaven, your outlook is light. The Lord lays out for us that we want to see that our mind is not enslaved and we need to realize if our aim is only material gain then we're going to get caught up in darkness. We're going to be walking in hypocrisy. We're not going to be experiencing the reality of the kingdom principles of living our life for Jesus Christ and living it for Him first. We want to have our minds free. we got to watch out for materialism. we got to watch out for the things we cling to on this earth because they're going to make our outlook darken. And the next thing we see that materialism will mess up is our will. Our will. Verse 24. For no one can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon carries around that idea of, of money as an idol, or materialism as an idol, or the world itself as an idol. 
The Lord says that if, if we're living to have treasures here, then the next thing that we're going to recognize being enslaved is our will. Our will. That means I don't want to live for the Lord. I want to live for what I can get here because I cannot serve two masters. I either live for the world or I live for the Lord. I can't live for the Lord and the world. I can't live for the world and the Lord. I have to choose. I cannot serve them both. So I want to serve the Lord. I want to be free. I want to have victory over, over the, that attitude of materialism in my life. So that materialism, that idea in verse 25, he goes on. Now, now, not only does that happen, if you're laying up for yourself treasures on earth, you're also going to struggle with worry. Anybody ever struggle with worry? He says, therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And then he's going to give us two examples. Now, the examples are of things that do not worry. Things that do not worry. Look what he says. He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? You ever see birds worry? Sitting around together worrying, oh, I don't know what we're going to do. No, we never see birds do that. We don't. Birds, birds don't get all wrapped up in all the things that we worry about. Now, it's not saying that we're not supposed to sow and reap. It says birds don't sow and reap. And they don't worry. And their Lord feeds them. And, newsflash, you are of more value than they. Do you understand that? You are of more value to the Lord than the birds. Or to dogs. Or to horses. Or any other critter. You are of more value than they. But the Lord takes care of them. He will also take care of you. It doesn't mean we have no responsibility to do anything. We should just lay back. When's the last time you just saw a bird sitting with his mouth open waiting for a worm? We didn't ever see that, right? The birds go and they gather what they need. Same with us. But the birds don't worry. Because they're not wrapped around the materialism. They're not wrapped around the desire to lay up for themselves treasures. Rather, they're just taking care of what they need today. Taking care of that daily bread. Asking for that daily bread from the Lord. So which of you can add one cubit to his stature? Let's say you're short and you're worried about it. Will your worry make you taller? (laughs) Just the other day I was out with Fritz. (laughs) I could just tell so many stories right now. Maybe I shouldn't. Like, for example, maybe Fritz and I went to Lagoon. And we come up to this big roller coaster. But as you walk up to get on the line, they got that sign that says, you got to be above this line. And what if Fritz, now I'm not saying he is, what if he was below that line? Could he sit there and worry? Oh, I'm worried about this. And grow the inch he needs to be able to ride the ride? So what benefit is there in worry? There's no benefit at all. None at all. Sorry, Fritz. (laughs) There's no benefit in those things because they can't do anything for you. All the worry you do is not going to help you. Better to put that effort in trusting God. Trusting God. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. Well, I trusted God. I trusted God for this, and it didn't happen. So what's that mean? It's not good. If it was good, you'd have it. How can it be good? Because, listen, our lives are all about living for His kingdom and His glory. And that's the primary focus. Worry is not going to help us in any of those things. And he gives us another example. So why do you worry about clothing? 
Ladies, this time we're talking about you. (laughs) Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. I can't go. I have nothing to... Huh. Guys don't usually say that unless their stuff is dirty. (laughs) Women, on the other hand, mean they don't have it in the closet. I got to go get a new dress. I got to get a new thing. The Lord says, why do you worry about what you wear? Look at the flowers. They're beautiful. They're here today, gone tomorrow. There's actually a flower in Israel that blooms one day and dies the next. Blooms and dead. That fast. Beautiful when it comes. Dead the next day. But he says, they don't toil and spin and worry and fret and, oh, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? They don't do that. It just happens. It just is. Because God clothes them. Even as God will clothe us. We just need to trust him. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? He knows what you have need of. Trust Him. I trusted the Lord for a new prom dress and I didn't get it. What's that mean? It wasn't good. But every good and perfect gift comes from our Father in heaven. The Lord knows what we need. Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek... For your heavenly father knows you need these things. God knows you need the things that you need. But then he moves from that to say, but your primary passion, your number one focus in life needs to be to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And what does he say? And all these other things will be added unto you. Make God the primary passion, your primary motivation in life. Don't allow all these other things to to make you worry or or disrupt your vision. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Keep your eyes on Him and seek Him first. Let Him be King. Let Him decide what you get or what you don't get. And be okay with it. Let Him decide if He brings healing or He doesn't bring healing. Let Him decide if He brings wealth or He brings poverty. Let Him decide. He's the King. Seek His kingdom first. And His righteousness. Have right relationship with God. Being right with the Lord. That thing that I can't produce in myself but I find in Jesus Christ. So I cling to Jesus Christ that I might be right with Him. I seek those things first. Doesn't mean I don't do anything else. It means that that's my primary passion in all those other things. God knows you need them. He'll take care of what you need. He knows what you have to have. He knows what has to happen. Lord, this has to happen in order for... Really? Do you know what has to happen? God knows what has to happen. And sometimes it doesn't. And we think, oh. But the reality is God knows what's best for us. Do you trust Him enough? Can you give yourself to the Lord and say, you're my king. What you give me, I need. What you don't give me, I don't need. Can you say to the Lord, I want to be right with you. And I want that to be my primary focus. That I'm right with you. That I have a right relationship with you. And I'm going to have that right relationship with you as I have a right relationship with my brothers and sisters. As I keep all those things in balance. I keep your kingdom focus. And then those other things are going to happen. They're going to be okay. I'll get what I need. The Lord will watch out for me. Can you live your life that way? Because that's the commitment God's calling us to. And the kingdom principles of the Sermon on the Mount. That's what God's calling us to. Total devotion. Total devotion to Him. There's no such thing as part-time Christian. Or secret agent Christian. It's just being... 
a follower of Christ or not being a follower of Christ. Follow Him. Allow Him to do that work. Hey, I know we're not all perfect. I'm not perfect. I just went camping. You guys ever go camping? We pull up to the South Hills with the camper, and as we pull up, we see this spot. Oh, it's so nice. The little beams of sunshine come down on the place and say, that's where you should camp. And I said, okay. And I opened up the door, and as soon as I opened up the door to the truck, the clouds covered the sun, and the rain started. Pouring. So I unpacked the trailer, parked it in the spot, in the pouring rain. The whole time, it could not dampen the excitement that I felt. I'm going camping. I don't care. Rain. So I take it out, and we. then the rain stops. As soon as I stop, the rain stops. It's all gone. I, I put that away. Wonder why that happened. Then, we're leaving. Saturday, about 3 o'clock. Taking it easy, taking our time, coming down. I go outside and I begin to roll up the different things. You know how somehow when you camp, stuff just ends up everywhere. So I got all that everywhere stuff. And I'm rolling it up and I'm packing it up and I'm folding it up. And the clouds gathered again. And it poured. The entire time I packed the trailer, it poured on me. Now, before it couldn't dampen the sunshine. Because I was going camping. But now I'm going home. It didn't have a very hard time dampening the sunshine at all. In fact, I was ticked. I was mad. I, got my, I put my poncho on. I cannot believe it's going to pour on me the whole time. Crawling underneath the trailer on the mud, pulling out the blocks. And I'm getting angrier and frustrated and frustrated and frustrated and upset and angry. Throwing the blocks in the back of the truck and kicking the trailer and slamming the doors. And Kathy comes around the corner about that time. And she says, oh, Lord. (laughs) And I said, you better take your oh, Lord and get back in the trailer where it's safe. (laughs) So Kathy went back in the trailer. And about that time, no lie, I'm sitting out there. I'm just fuming. And at that time, the Lord speaks to me, just says one word, Jonah. And I sit there and go, oh. I'm being like Jonah right now. Jonah, you know, he went to Nineveh and all the people got saved and they're all happy and he goes and he lays down under this plant and the plant's giving him shade. But then when the plant dies, Jonah freaks out. And that was me. I was freaking out. And the Lord said, Jonah. And I said, oh, don't want to be like Jonah. We all struggle with that stuff. That's reality of life. We all struggle with taking the principles that Jesus gives us and putting them in the real. But the point is, where's your focus? Is your focus to say, I'm going to, I want Jesus first. I want his kingdom first. And I'm going to mess up. I'm going to mess up. But then I'm going to confess. The Lord's going to forgive me. He's going to enter me back into that right place. And I'm going to move on. And I'm going to make him first. And that's the call that he's given us here. Seek first that kingdom of God. So he says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for today is its own trouble. Just live in the now. I love, I love Celebrate Recovery and the the whole concept about living our life one day at a time. One day at a time. That's where time touches God. You know that, right? Because when we think about the future and we think, oh, it's all falling apart and Obama has ruined us all and it's all going to the pot. (laughs) We don't have God there. When I look at the past and I see all the dumb things I've done, oh, I can't believe I did all those dumb things, but I I don't see God there either. Because God's here now. Not there Not up there, right here. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Give us this day our daily bread. Give what I need now. My focus now. Let me live for God's kingdom now. Let me seek His righteousness now. Paul said, forgetting those things which lie behind. I press on 
toward the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you do that? Can you forget about the things that are behind and let go all the garbage? And just keep your eyes on the Lord and move toward Him. And we'll finish this race. And we'll see Him face to face. And when we do, we'll hear. Well done, good and faithful servant. Amen? As the worship team comes back up, we have an opportunity this morning to remember what God has done. Sometimes when we find ourselves off track, that's what kind of gets chaotic for us. We, we forget the things that God has done for us. So we have opportunity this morning to come to the Lord's table. To remember His body broken for us. His blood shed for us. That He gave unto us the forgiveness of sins. That through that sacrifice, He made us right with Him. I encourage you as we pass out the implements for the Lord's Supper. And as we worship in this song, just... Hold them together with me. We'll partake of them together in just a moment. But as you do, consider those things. The Bible says when we come to the Lord's Supper that we ought to be looking inside ourselves. Test me. Try me. See if there be any wicked way in me. That we should come before the Lord with a a right heart. If there's been hypocrisy and the things we've been talking about today have been a struggle, you don't have to do something incredible or something crazy to make that go away. All you have to do is confess it to the Lord and ask for His forgiveness, and it's there. Just like that. Just like that. And keep your eyes focused on what the Lord has for us, for He is able. Amen? I know all you ladies worry about Jackie. I've heard you guys talk. But I witnessed with my own eyes Friday night, Jackie had three helpings of broccoli salad. And I thought, well, how, how did Kat...